Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Elk Shape Podcast, episode number four, with me, Dan Staten. Thanks for tuning in. Been digging the podcast, whole vibe. Love the feedback. Been getting some pretty dope emails from people encouraging, and believe it or not, that stuff keeps me motivated to pump these out. Got a wide variety of listeners. I think that's a pretty cool deal where you can reach out to people that hunt and don't hunt. Believe it or not, there's some non-hunters listening to this, and that's pretty cool. Elk Shape is brought to you by allmysponsors.com. Look them all up. They're on my website, elkshape.com. You can click on the equipment list, go through the brands I rep. They're handpicked. Most of them, I came to them and said, hey, what's up? I want to work with you. I'm going to use your equipment regardless, so why don't we partner up? Most of those partners have been with me for many a year. Been in the hunting industry for over a decade. Uh, Like I tell people in previous podcasts, I like to keep only one foot in the hunting industry. I like my day job. I don't want hunting to ever be a job. And I think that holds me accountable to doing things the right way, the things that I think are right. You know, hunting public land, general seasons, over-the-counter, blue-collar stuff, nothing private or outfitted or guided. And there is nothing wrong with that if that's your thing. But just so you know, that's not my thing. I want to start off with a poem by Ralph Space. Circa 1925, he was a uh, forester for the Clearwater National Forest. He was a supervisor there and spent a lot of times in those mountains. And he wrote a nice little poem, a little piece about wilderness, a place that we all probably enjoy seeking. And maybe we don't even know why we like to be in the wilderness, but here goes. Defining wilderness is very difficult to do. It means to me one thing and something else to you. It is beauty, it's solitude, it's everlasting peace. It's nature's at its finest where man-made changes cease. To put it in one sentence the very best I can, it's a maximum of nature and a minimum of man. I stand upon a mountain, I look out across the hills, I'm awed by the vastness, my heart within me thrills. In the distance is a river and a myriad of creeks row on row of ridges and lofty mountain peaks. But there are no roads or houses in an area I scan for its maximum of nature and minimum of man. I sit beside my campfire when the sun is sinking low. 
I hear an elk that bugles in the basin far below. There is a blue jay scolding and the raven's racious call. Then a peaceful silence settles softly over all. With just the wind to softening, as it since time began, it is a maximum of nature and a minimum of man. I come upon a fall within a rushing mountain stream. There the mist is flying and the crystal waters gleam. In a pool some trout are swimming, and close by an owl sings. Above the falling water his multi-noted ballad rings. The water swirls and the eddies just as it always ran. There's a maximum of nature and a minimum of man. I walk within a forest where few other men have trod. I feel a part of nature. I'm much closer to my God. I blow my head and humbly tell my gratitude for the privilege to be a part of God's great plan in a maximum of nature with a minimum of man. Again, that was Ralph Space, 1925. You know, it's hard for us to describe or tell our non-hunting friends, maybe even our spouses. I know my wife often wonders why I need to be out away from my cell phone, away from the internet connection and in some spaces and landscapes that are vast and rich, uninhabited, unmolested country where you can see kind of what nature intended to be. That's a huge part of hunting for me. And and even if you don't hunt, just getting out in solitude, seeking some time where you can just basically look at yourself and look at what how things are going. I think you'd be surprised how crystal clear your priorities will come to you and you'll be able to decipher what really matters to you the most, maybe where you've wasted or squandered some energy or time or or resources on things that just don't matter. Anyways, I, today I don't have a guest, but I am going to be bringing um, Elk 101, Corey Jacobson. He said the first of the year he'd like to do uh, a podcast, so we're going to Skype in and try that technology. That's going to be fun. But in the meantime, I thought today we would talk about something pretty important to me, motivation. With the new year coming, I know as a gym owner, I see a lot of people start to realize they've let some things slip or they're maybe perhaps stuck in some man-made ruts that they don't like and they're looking for change. And I'm really excited about the new year. And I think that we all can benefit from sitting down and reflecting on kind of where we're going, recalibrate and make some adjustments and set a new course for success, set some big goals and then set up those small goals behind them that lead to the big goal. And I love motivation. I love goal setting. I've read tons of leadership, motivational books. And to be honest with you, it's all kind of convoluted in my head. And so I'm just going to kind of talk from the heart as far as what it takes to be successful and achieve the goals that you're setting out to, to get after. And, you know, it may be a little bit unorganized, but I can tell you right now, in my mind, you have to know exactly what it is that you want. You have to know what you are working towards and be prepared for delayed gratification because those are the best. When you sacrifice, sacrifice, and you finally get that reward, it's all worth it. And I love that about bow hunting specifically because in my experience, it lends itself generally well to someone who continually prepares and works on their craft. That includes shooting, going through your equipment, making sure it's fine-tuned and dialed and constantly finding the best that's going to work for you and your setup when I'm talking archery. That also means not just shooting in your garage or in your backyard at a flat 20 yards, but definitely getting out and getting some realistic, perfect practice in there where you're getting those shot angles, uh, where you have time to really settle the pin and the other times where you got to get that arrow off, shooting from your knees, kneeling with a backpack on, in the wind, at low light, 
all those kind of things. So perfect practice when it comes to doping in your weapon. My weapon of choice, obviously, is archery. Um, and that could be applicable to anybody with a rifle or muzzleloader, spear, or your bare hands. I don't know what you hunt with, but the other thing could be your fitness goals as it pertains to hunting. You know, for me, that's my big motivator is I never want my physical fitness or mental toughness to get in the way of a hunt. In fact, I want it to be an asset. I want it to be an ally when things get tough because they always do. There's more downs than ups. There's definitely way more valleys than peaks when it comes to archery hunting. And you have to kind of be able to rely on your history of perseverance and your mental fortitude that you've created for yourself by grinding out. I love that. And so the things I want you guys to look in for 2018 is, is to not do the easy thing. You know, the easy road or the low road is extremely seductive. And I think a lot of people in this country choose that road. They want comfort. They want to be, they want things to be perfect. They want things to be nice and easy. And I think if it's easy, it probably has no value. And so that's something to think about. Also, when you are in the backcountry, there's no one else that's going to help you. There's no one that's going to bring you a tissue for your tears. There's no one that's going to give you a motivational speech when you need one. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. And what I mean by that is you have to kind of make your own fate. Obviously, you need a little bit of luck, but luck favors the prepared. And you guys have heard that. It's kind of a cliche. When talking about the wilderness and talking about backcountry and talking about goals, I wanted to, and I'm looking for right now, a little piece I wrote when I came out of the September. I'd hunted many, many days, probably over 20. This is a post that I put on Instagram probably at the end of September. So here goes. I think it has a lot to do with what my big whys are. I look forward to being uncomfortable each hunting season. Cold, hot, wet, tired, fatigued, and lonely is par for the course. Most folks today do not go five minutes without checking their phone, let alone not talking to or seeing a person for days on end. Seems like making sure we're comfortable is often one of our highest priorities in today's society. Our world is an instant world with lots of notifications emails, and distractions. Man-made stresses interfere each and every day, coupled with the responsibility to put up a facade for social media. I don't think this is healthy from my vantage point. Seriously, how much time do we waste staring at our phones? My perspective can use an adjustment periodically, and clarity can surround you in the mountains. There's no thermostat in the backcountry, and running water is a nearby creek. If you're cold and wet, then simply build a fire. Mother Nature doesn't give a single F about you. She'll remind you of this early and often. Simplicity at its finest. I'm thankful for mountain air and a time to be still and reflect. A man needs adventure, a challenge, and to feel alive. This is purely a test I relish to take each and every fall. I hunt to kill. Don't get it twisted. I enjoy taking responsibility for securing meat for my family. I also enjoy trying to harvest a big, heavy, mature animal on public land with a general tag. For those that don't hunt, this means trying to tag an animal that is hunted by many and is probably the most challenging and rewarding type of hunting out there. I have more friends that probably will never hunt than do and perhaps wonder why I put my life on hold to go in the mountains each fall. This is a glimpse into the why I go and do what I do. I'm proud to be a hunter. I'm thankful for a renewed perspective each fall. So that's something I posted and it got uh, quite a few comments. People were definitely, you know, saying, hey, I totally feel you. I I feel like I can connect to that. And I love that. But I want to talk quickly about kind of like where you're at with your fitness, your conditioning, your well-being, 
your hunting goals, things like that. So uh, for those that don't know, application season is coming up. In fact, Alaska is having theirs right now uh, into December, I think. And then January rolls around and you got Wyoming and Arizona and and you just kind of get going into that program. If you don't use um, online resources or have a really a clue what I'm talking about, there are better places to elk hunt than general season tags. And so if you play the game, which I do, you're trying to draw tags in areas where there's less tags given. So obviously there's better hunting, less people, more elk to choose from, and really just more enjoyable hunts a lot of times because of the lack of hunting pressure and that the animals get to get a little bit older. They're bigger. You know, you want to say the word trophy? That's fine. Yeah, there's some trophy uh, units out there. I like to call them just limited opportunity areas. Every state is different. You kind of have to have a, I don't know, a bachelor's degree in statistics if you want to do your own homework. But I rely on gohunt.com quite a bit. And I use uh, my Onyx maps at the desktop to study maps. And I'd spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to figure out where I'm going to hunt. In fact, I would give myself a grade of a D minus for my tag strategy last year. I ended up with really no good tags and everything was over the counter, uh, which was fine. We got it done, but it was definitely, I like to draw. The year before, I drew late season Arizona, shot a pretty good bull there. I drew a once in a lifetime tag in Utah for a mountain goat. Both those hunts are on my Elk Shape YouTube channel. If you've never seen those, find those. Um, and yeah, you know, it's pretty cool to have at least one kind of special tag. In the, in the past, I've drawn a once in a lifetime moose tag in Idaho. I've drawn a limited entry bull tag, branched antler bull tag in Washington. That took 10 years to get that, and that hunt was amazing. I got about a uh, 330-ish, maybe a little over, 330 bull, my best bull over there on that hunt, and that was a wilderness hunt. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I've drawn Arizona twice, but it's just late season. That's a real hard, 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 one of the hardest hunts you can go on. But yeah, if you want to hunt Alaska, there's a lot of stuff that you got to draw. And if you want to hunt elk, you got to kind of build points unless you're going to put in for like states like New Mexico that they just don't have any point system. And same with Idaho, there's no point system. It's kind of a a lottery, if you will, which I like. And then you have point creep in many states like I would say Colorado, probably one of the worst where you could be in point purgatory, which is where I am, where I have double-digit points for elk and deer. And, and uh, it doesn't matter the point creep. The guys in the back end with the 20-plus points are just getting more points every year. They're not cashing in or they're not drawn. And so you really have no cho- no true chance to hunt there uh, until these dudes get their tags drawn or die. You know, Colorado's definitely one of those. Uh, Utah is another state I haven't drawn anything in as far as elk goes. I just I think I'm double-digit points. I'm looking forward to drawing there. On a limited entry tag, they do have some great over-the-counter. Everyone knows Arizona has a point system, a pretty cool point system. I'll touch on that. I mean, the first thing you need to do for Arizona is put in consistent, you know, consistently year in, year out. There's, I think you get a a point every year automatically after five years in a row of applying, applying. They call that a loyalty point. So you start the year off with an extra name in the hat. You can also take their hunter safety class and get yourself an extra point every year for that. That doesn't go away. Um, So if you have a loyalty point and a hunter safety point, you're going to go into Arizona every year with two points. So I didn't draw Arizona last year, so I'm coming into this year with three points because I burned all my points last year. But I have three going into this one because I didn't draw last year, and I have the hunter safety, and I have the loyalty points. So that's just uh, something you might want to look into. See, we have Washington, where I live, is a pretty tough state to put in for if you're a non-resident because I think you pretty much have to end up buying a hunting license and tag 
So if you don't draw the special elk tag or limited entry draw elk tag, you're stuck with a general elk tag when it's pretty pricey for out-of-staters. Idaho's got um, a pretty cool system for elk, deer, and antelope. You can choose to put in for those, and you can put in for all three of those. Or if you don't want to put in for those, then you can choose one of their once-in-a-lifetime species, which is sheep, goat, and moose. And obviously, I've drawn moose already, so that's off the table. So um, I've killed a mountain goat in Utah, so I'm not interested in shooting another mountain goat, so put that off the table. So I generally put in for their sheep, if that makes any sense. And then because I put in for sheep, I cannot put in for their moose or, I'm sorry, for their uh, deer, antelope, elk. So Montana is another state that's got pretty uh, tough draw odds. They have some limited entry elk areas. Uh, You can also get your general tags there, but Montana is definitely one of the better states to put in for. So I just was going to say, hey, draw season's coming up. Check out what you need to do to kind of get ready for that. And we're going to talk about goal setting and motivation. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm allergic to people that aren't motivated. I'm allergic to people that make excuses, give me a narrative as to why they can't do something. I'm a huge believer. And if you want something, go get it and make a plan. And if you plan to fail, you fail to plan. And I'm going to be dropping cliches left and right, because that's what I do. I literally just preach these things to people at my CrossFit gym and I try to live it and show them by example. So that's what, that's how you be successful. Successful people leave behind clues. And so study what they're doing and emulate it and find your own version and your own pathway. So to stay motivated, you have to know your why. You have to have a motivational driver, a discipline driver, things that you will do daily that will lead you up to the big picture. You know, being in shape in September requires you to make steps the nine months leading up to that. And, you know, for me personally, that means day in and day out, breaking a sweat, whatever that means, however you want to do it. It could be CrossFit and I could do an episode and preach why I do CrossFit. But at the end of the day, I don't really care what you do as long as you're breaking a sweat and you're making yourself stronger, improving your endurance, maintaining your flexibility and mobility and decreasing your injury potential. Those are all recipes for longevity in the mountains. And for those homies out there that clown on people who talk about their fitness and how it helps them hunting and you're like, well, I don't work out and I shoot a big bull every year. Good for you. You also are going to have a 99 cent heart attack from all the fast food you've been eating. Unless you have really good genetics, your shitty lifestyle decisions will eventually catch up with you the older you get. And then you can be basically an armchair quarterback watching all the hunting shows because you can't hunt anymore because you're crippled, debilitated, unhealthy, and you're not taking your grandkids out hunting. For me, I have grander visions of taking my son's sons elk hunting and showing them the ways that we do it and keeping hunting prevalent and alive in a world that has way more non-hunters than hunters. You need to look at your why. You need to figure out what it is that drives you and why it's important to be in shape and to shoot your weapon on the weekly, perhaps on the daily. And so what I'd usually do is just kind of center my whole day around a couple of things. The first thing I center my day around is making sure that I have really good food available to eat throughout the day. And I don't want to talk nutrition on today, so I'm just going to keep it super simple. This is a little CrossFit piece, but it's eat meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, zero sugar. That's meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, zero sugar. So if it doesn't grow on trees, if you can't dig it out of the ground, if you can't fish it out of the stream, if it 
is something that is in the middle aisles of a grocery store that will never go bad or has a long expiration date. It's not food. Food is a drug. Food is medicine. What you put in your body will dictate how you feel. It will dictate the hormones that get released. It'll dictate your mood, your performance, your fatigue, your resistance to fatigue, as well as just overall your body's ability to repair and restore. Nutrition's a big deal. That's why I started there first. You can't out-train a bad diet, and that's another cliche, but it's the truth. When it comes to training, every day, do, if you want to see what I do, you go to elkshape.com. I post what I do once a week, just list it out. It's my training journal. Some of it you might have to like sift through and look up what some of the abbreviations mean because you know I have things in there like AMRAP, which means as many reps or rounds as possible. I'll put EMOMS in there, which is every minute on the minute. What I'm trying to say is you know, you might have, you might not be able to understand what I'm doing, but if you do a little homework and if it's important to you, you'll be able to figure it out. And those are some good ideas. If you want to try and see what I do, you don't need to do what I do. You can do your own thing. But my big deal is that I want to do like four or five CrossFit workouts a week. I want to hike with a pack at least once a week on a rest day. I'm pretty good about doing that. So I do hike at least once a week. That's boots on, backpack on, weight on, at least three miles, elevation. And so you get an ascent and a descent and you're, you know, trekking poles or not, just getting miles underneath your boot with the heavy backpack, which is at least 40 pounds, at least strapped to your traps, strapped to your hip and the shoulders uncomfortable, all that stuff. I think that's really important year round. If you live out east or Midwest and you don't have flat ground, you can find rolling hills, you can find stairs, you can find something in the name of better bow hunting. So I try to, you know, at least have one rest day a week where I really truly don't break a sweat too much. I do live a very active lifestyle, chasing kids around and whatnot, but mostly four or five days a week of CrossFit, a day of hiking, and then a true day of rest. That's kind of my formula. Now in there is shooting. I find it's very important for me to shoot, to stay accurate. This was one of my best years of shooting off-season throughout the year. I probably had the most continuity. I try to shoot at my archery range or I try to even shoot in the garage, blank bell, whatever you have available to you. I'm super stoked. I just got a big block target. I don't even know the dimensions. I'm going to go pick it up and I'll I'm, I'll post it on my Instagram. But it's a huge block target. That's going to help me with some blank bell shooting that means for those that don't know, shooting your bow up close with your eyes closed and just working on the muscle memory and the shot execution, as well as, you know, fine tuning your shooting. And it's just a way to get good reps because you want it to be automatic. You want your autonomic nervous system to fire that bow. You don't want to consciously fire your bow. That should all happen on its own. That should be a subconscious deal. Keep your conscious out of your shot execution and you're going to shoot well, really well. Um, and I'm not an archery expert as far as I'm not a good enough to coach people on archery. I've just been at it for a long time, fine tuning and, you know, finding what works for me. But shooting your weapon weekly, super important for me. I don't shoot every day. To me, that's, that's going to be something that I'm okay with, but I need to shoot probably at least four times a week. And that means whatever it takes in the basement, in the garage, in the backyard, at the archery range. For me, I shoot at the gym quite a bit. And it could be just a quiver full of arrows and just get five good reps before you work out or whatever it looks like for you. Now, as far as pursuing your goals, if you don't advertise your goals to your trustworthy peers, there's no pressure for you to accomplish them. And that is not good. And so a couple of ways to advertise your goals is to one, advertise to yourself. 
if there's somewhere where you can lay in bed and look up and see what your goals are right when you wake up or in the mirror when you brush your teeth, just a list of the big goals that you're looking to pursue, that would be important. I could give you examples, um, but I think your goal should be, you should have kind of a couple of categories. I think you should start with particularly your family or faith or both, the things that you want to work on the big picture where you want to make more time or do some more big family things or you want to do something super special every day or read more for your children um, if you want to play more with them or you want to be take them hunting or you know whatever it is your goal it should be family or faith-based you know I want to get into the word daily I want to journal more whatever that is and you have to be pretty specific we'll get into kind of a template for setting goals but I'm just talking where to advertise your goals and then you want to tell your spouse your closest friends uh, your hunting buddies whatever it is your goal is advertise it get it out there let everyone know what you're trying to accomplish don't hide from it and so you want that pressure pressure is good pressure is a positive thing we need that so you're going to put your goals where you see them it could be in the dashboard of your truck or whatever And then you're going to set goals that are big, and then you're going to use this template to write down your goals. It's the SMART principle. Google it. I didn't invent it. I've read it many years ago, but specific, measurable, obtainable, relevant, and timeline. So specific would be, I want to get in shape. That's not specific. In fact, that's not even a goal. You want to lose this many pounds of fat. You want to keep this many pounds of muscle on or pack this much muscle on. You want your mile time to be this. You want to be able to do this many pull-ups in a row. You want to deadlift this. You want to back squat that. You want to be able to backpack three miles up this one hill by by you, unbroken, without stopping. I mean, you have to be really specific. I want to eat whole foods six out of seven days a week. I want to meal prep every week. I want to shoot my bow four days a week or six days a week, seven days a week or once a week or whatever it is your goal. So be very specific on your goals. Take some time. Don't rush through that. Measurable is super important. If you don't measure it, you cannot manage it. So measuring goals would be I want to deadlift 405 by August 31st. So you want to pull 405 pounds or I want to back squat 400 pounds. I want to run a mile in under six minutes. I want to shoot six arrows a day, every day, 365. I want to shoot a 300-inch public land bull this year. That's very specific. I want to read one book a month or one book a week. I want to get into a Bible study. I just, you have to be specific. Those are some examples. Attainable. They need to be realistic goals. You know, if you're like, I want to shoot a 400-inch bull in North Idaho, that's probably not attainable. If you put that, I just want to, you know, I want to lose 100 pounds in 2018, that's probably not attainable. So these goals do need to be pertinent, relevant, things like that. Attainable means that it's realistic. Relevant means that it's really true to what you're trying to do. Again, S is specific, M is measurable, A is attainable, R is realistic or relevant, and then the last one is timeline. It's not a goal unless you provide timelines. And so let's go back to some of those goals that I just used as examples. If you want to deadlift 405, you need to figure out where you're at now. Okay, so if you do a one rep max day and you safely execute a deadlift of, say, 225 or, or 315, you have it measured out. Now you need to set small goals. Okay, well, by the end of January, I want to pull 325. 
And by the end of February, I want to pull 335. And I just want to put 10 pounds on a month and I will slowly get my way to 405. That seems like a good plan. Same with losing fat. You want to lose two pounds of fat a week? Well, that's good. That's a great way to go. If you want to lose more than that, you're going to have a hard time keeping that weight off. So the timelines need to be kind of like the deadline and then you work your way backwards for the small goals that lead up to that big goal. And you kind of just, that way you don't lose motivation and your goal doesn't seem too daunting and you're starting to see the needle move each week a little closer to the big goal. That's how you be successful. And I think most of you know that, but if you've never heard of that smart template, I'm sure there's a few of you that haven't, it's pretty legit. You got to try it. And so you're talking about pen and paper, a journal, writing your stuff down and advertising your goals and really giving yourself some time to really think through this process. This shouldn't be rushed. That's why we're going to drop this podcast now before the new year. So you have a few days to kind of digest this and really maybe get in in a place where you can reflect and be honest with yourself. If you're really truly happy with the way that your finances are going, if you're happy with how much you're working, how much time are you spending with your family, how much time are you getting to hunt, how much time are you getting to exercise, uh, nutrition, where has it been a low priority? So I think it's important to be pretty critical of yourself. I'm not saying don't celebrate where you're at. I do think that's important as well. But if you're happy where you're at, you're not going to stay where you're at. You're basically, if you're not moving forward, you're not standing still. In fact, you're probably moving backwards. So I just wanted to talk about goal setting on this quick little podcast. We're already 30 minutes in. And so I want to kind of just graduate over to a couple things on question and answer. I got some good questions here. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, some discipline and finance stuff. Here we go. All right. First, I got an email from a guy named John in Montana. He said, hello, Dan, I think that is your name. Hey, I just wanted to tell you that you're super inspiring and keep up the great work. I'm 47 and took up a clean lifestyle with my diet almost a year ago and it has been awesome. I've got two boys and realized that if I want to chase my kids around in the woods, I better get my ass in better shape. I want to really drive home that your message of public land, do-it-yourself hunting is the only thing that keeps folks protecting our public lands. After watching some, I can't say their name. I'm not going to do that. But after watching a certain podcast person sell out with all guided and private land hunts on their podcast, it made me realize how awesome you are for staying true to what you do. I can't express to you what that means to me. And it is really amazing. I can run down a list of sellouts, but I'd rather this be about how much I slash we appreciate your great brand and truly inspiring messages. Thanks again. And don't change. There are some of us out here that are silent fans. Sincerely, John. Wow. There's no question here. So that was just an email. John, dude, thanks, man. Um, I've told you guys from the beginning, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be authentic. And it's going to be me. And it is what it is. If you don't like it, don't hit play. And if I make friends or enemies, that's fine. I will lose zero sleep. At the end of the day, I really don't care what people think. I'm going to tell you what I think. And if you align with some of my ideas, great. You can agree to disagree as well. But yeah, I'm pretty burnt out on a lot of the dudes in the hunting industry finding success, majority of their success, and some of them their only success on private, trophy-rich environment-based hunts. Because they have a platform, they are getting those hunts significantly discounted. Maybe they're paying full price. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But they're they're hunting places that I have a hard time relating to. I feel like they're missing out on some of that delayed gratification of really, truly earning that bull. All hunting is hard, whether it's guided or not, whether it's public or not. Don't get that twisted. But we all know that 
it might be a little bit more challenging to shoot that mature animal that's been hunted and has had long hunting seasons, harsh winters, predators, and it lives on public land. So yeah, man, like we're going to stick true to the blue collar dudes. You know, I can relate to the folks that work their asses off and get very limited amount of time to hunt. And it doesn't come without a lot of sacrifice from their family and their resources. You know, you just got to enjoy and celebrate the public land hunter and the public grounds that we are so blessed to hunt. Yeah, man, that's what we're all about. We're not changing that at all. Those blue collar dudes are the ones I respect the most. And I think that um, you know, we'll try to stay super positive here. I think there's enough negativity on in the in amongst each other in the hunting industry. To be honest with you, there's just plenty of negativity out there, and some of it's you know warranted. But at the end of the day, there's way more anti-hunters, and even way way more non-hunters, and those are the people that we need to impress as well as impress upon that hunting is legitimate for the meat. That hunting is part of our ancestry, and it is a lifestyle choice to secure your meat the way that you want instead of having someone else do your killing for you. I think more mainstream large platform hunters should at least budget in some more do-it-yourself hunts. I think that would be cool. Those blue collar hunts where you have success and you earned everything. That is so, it's it's what it's all about. But my tangent really is just more or less just, yeah, John, we're going to stick true to our roots. There's, um, There's a niche there and I recognize that. And that's what I am, blue collar guy, public land stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all got to kind of stick together from the for the big picture view. And, you know, you don't have to listen to anyone or watch anything that, that you don't agree with. That's the beauty of America. You have the freedom to choose how you consume your media. We'll keep pumping out the our consistent content and our message. So thanks again for the email. These are actual questions. Brandon Van Acker says, can you talk about your weekly meal prep and what typical breakfast, lunch, dinner is for you and your family? You mentioned you make multiple meals at once. Also love the journal workouts on your website. Thanks. That's right, guys. I'm journaling my workouts. Have been consistently for years. So elkshape.com, look at the workouts, try to read through those. Yeah, Brandon. So meal prep for us, we're super, super simple. We, we live off elk meat. It's no secret there. I got a chest freezer out in the garage. That's to the brim with elk burger ground up with no additional fat added, just lean meat there, steaks and chops and stew and fajita meat, you name it. And then we got some, I do have some deer sausage that I did have someone else make for me. There is some pork fat in there and it's delicious. We got some antelope meat and some bear meat. So I have a lot of meat as far as non wild game meat, just pretty much chicken. I need to eat more fish. Probably should write that down as a goal. I need to find someone who catches wild salmon. I will trade you elk meat straight up pound for pound. But yeah, we, we like to basically marinate a Costco size or, you know, big, big bags of chicken, barbecue those bad boys up and um, cut them into four to five ounce slices and get them Tupperware. So you, if you're going to be a meal prepper, you got to be, have a really legit Tupperware protocol. And my wife totally, that's her department. And so we have lots of Tupperware, got the barbecue. We don't winterize that thing. We use it year round and we like to grill our meats on Sundays. So we grill up our steaks. uh, We grill up our elk burgers. We grill our chicken breasts and we just try to get enough for Monday through Friday. The weekends are a little more chill, but we both work. We both are busy. So we like to have all that, the lean meats prepped. I think the carbohydrate is probably the most important thing to prep because the meat's real easy to grill, but the carbs is where it's important. A lot of times we'll make 
one really big kick-ass, what I would say, sexy salad with every type of vegetable that we like with really good spinach, baby spinach, kale, or lettuce, or romaine. Chop it up. Don't add your dressing because that'll make that, that soggy. But get in a really big Tupperware for the week and get that in the fridge so then you can just pull a salad out every day. And in fact, you should eat a salad every day. That's just that's going to be one thing that you just, it's a must, not a should. And then as far as for clean carbohydrate sources, we do like to peel yams, cube them up, and either bake them. But yams are really important for us. We like to dice those up. We don't eat a lot of pasta, so you can get a zoodle and make noodles out of zucchini and squashes. Uh, We like our butternut squash for clean carbohydrate sources. Spaghetti squash is kind of a pain in the ass, but that's a really cool thing to make. Like I love elk spaghetti and we use instead of noodles you know you use uh, spaghetti squash try that out i should do more recipes maybe i'll have my wife do some stuff she's a phenomenal cook crock pot we do we can do crock pot stuff and make our stews or our chilies and then those are really easy to freeze but it's just about being intentional and carving out at least an hour and if you can do it with your you know your spouse or whoever you guys can team up and at least get your food prepped up it's going to save you money in the long run. You're not going to eat out as much. In fact, financially, I despise spending money out on food. I really like a home-cooked meal. I like the food from my house, my kitchen. If I want to go out, I want to spend it on a nice you know, microbrew or something, ice-cold beer. I don't want to spend $16 for a chicken salad or $13 or $14 for a beef burger when I could go make a bomb bacon elk burger and it's going to be better. So I'm a cheapskate when it comes to eating out. I feel like that's a way to squander money and I could put my money into better places. So food prep will save you time, will make you leaner. You might see your abs if you don't already. You'll perform better. You'll save money and not eat out. Meal prep is critical. And as far as veggies go, we like to, again, I like to have at least a salad at lunch and a salad at dinner and then, you know, cooked veggies. I don't eat a lot of pastas or breads at all. I have little kids in my house that like bread and stuff. So it's there, but it's really not on my menu. Those are some of the things that you can food prep. And I hope that helps. Big Shane 54 asks, early morning workouts, yay or nay on eating before? Well, early is relative. I generally do not train early in the mornings. I do train in the afternoons. That's kind of my downtime. Early mornings are when people are working out at our gym. So I'm either coaching or I'm doing admin work. So if I were a morning workout person, I would, if I were going to eat, it would be probably an hour to maybe even two hours before I train. I like an, a pretty much an empty stomach, especially doing high intensity pieces at CrossFit. So, you know, I know um, early mornings for me, I would probably say maybe just a little bit of coffee for me personally, but no, I would not eat. I would probably go right into a fasted workout, meaning the last meal was when before you went to bed or whatever. So I think that will promote probably some more fat burning. I won't get into bioenergetics today, but, you know, training on an empty stomach is a good thing. Uh, Greg Freeman, 19, asks, North Idaho, early season locating bull, which is end of August, early September for their season. He had a camera out and it took the first, and he took the first week off from work. It was hot and smoky and couldn't find bulls, cows, or raghorns that were on the camera before the season started. What advice do you have on early season elk hunting? Well, to me, it's been it's been pretty hit and miss. I generally don't hunt early season. I did hunt early season this year, and it was epic. And it was so epic that I'm going to try to hunt more around September 1st. I think that if you're going to 
kill a bull. They don't really have their pecking order sorted out yet. There's not big herds, you know, where a big bull is moving in. I think a lot of the the big bulls or medium-sized bulls, they're running around still. They might even be running around together, but they're definitely all really receptive to checking out your bugle and seeing what you are and sizing you up and getting eyes on you. So I know opening day for me, I think I passed on four bulls that day. All four of those bulls were together and I was able to get one of them to bugle and then I just stopped bugling and snuck in on them. And then I hit a few soft cow calls and it was almost like an assembly line. I got one after another to come through at 20 yards and they, not a one was very big. Hindsight, I still would have liked, I like to kill two elk in Idaho, at least get meat in the freezer. So I didn't, which is unusual. And then the very next day, the seventh, so my, our season opens September 6th there, they at least did this year. I remember September 7th, I couldn't get a bull to answer all morning long. And I was with my dad. And the story's funny. He he had to, uh, he's like, dude, I got to go take a crap. And I was like, okay, you want me to go over here and wait for you? And he's like, you know, go ahead and start hiking back to the dirt bikes. You know, we, we dirt biked in quite a few miles and, and hiked a couple miles. I was like, okay, well, I'll probably just keep throwing bugles out as I hike back to the dirt bike, you know, over the next two miles. And I'll meet you at the dirt bikes. Well, I start, I walk pretty fast in the woods. I, I go at a pretty fast pace. I don't sneak around. And I was kind of hauling ass and I probably put a half mile between us. And I don't know why he took so long, but I threw out a bugle and I got a bull to answer. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's not too far. And he sounded pretty legit, you know, pretty throaty, pretty gnarly. And so I just kind of slipped off that ridge and bugled again and he answered. And so I just dropped as fast as I could elevation, threw out a bugle. He he answered every bugle. I bugled my way to him. And once I got to about 50 yards, I think I bumped a couple cows that were above me, but I didn't bust the whole herd. And then I got in close and then I saw him and he was bugling, raking a tree. And it was just a wall of alders, but he had three cows with him. I could he, I don't know how many cows he actually had because it's North Idaho. You can't see over these alders. He probably had double-digit cows, and he bugled back and forth with me, and I ended up getting a 30-yard shot, and I got a pass-through. I lost him. If you want to see that video, it's on Elk Shape YouTube, but that was the second day, and he was a herd bull, probably about a 306-point, pretty legit. I was super bummed. I made a poor shot, hit no man's land. I didn't cut for um, the steepness of the shot. I got excited, and uh, I'm still making mistakes, obviously. But anyways, he lived. He took his cows. He was fine. I was, uh, I ended up, my dad ended up finding me, and we looked, you know, we gave the bull an hour and a half. We tracked. We never got a shot. He took his cows and ran. But man, that was September 7th. So I don't know. I've had really, in years past, I've hunted early September, late August and had good success, really good success. So if you're not hearing bulls where your camera was, you're not married to that spot, bro, get on a ridge and hike and bugle until you find someone that wants to play ball. I think you'll be able to find, if you're in an area with good elk numbers, good elk density, you should be able to find elk that want to play. And I do think they're more susceptible for some good call in action. If you have a caller or a buddy early season, than mid to late September or even early October, the calling just gets harder and harder and harder. Thanks for the question, Greg. Hunting Obsessed said, what at-home exercise do you recommend to improve your ability to keep your bow arm shoulder down while at full draw? Um, I don't do any at-home exercises. Obviously, I do maintain shoulder mobility. That's going to be huge. And so I'm constantly working through scapular, so your shoulder blade strengthening exercise pieces for the lower traps and your scapular retractors, your rhomboids, your major, all the muscles between your shoulder blades. Those are what are going to set your shoulder down. It's actually 
those are the muscles that basically give those scaps downward rotation closer to the spine. If you guys have never heard of crossover symmetry, I'll put a link there. They have some really cool stuff, pretty amazing stuff for your shoulders. Uh, I don't, I'm not partners with them. I just own a set of their stuff. It's pretty expensive, but I like, you should definitely, if you're serious, look into crossover symmetry for the shoulders. And then I just do big compound barbell movements uh, under duress and I shoot my bow. If I were to give something real specific, it would be crossover symmetry. I'll provide a link. Let's see. Jorge Mendoza, 97, sophomore in college, just started hunting this year, getting a degree in law enforcement. Wants to know if there is any high-intensity workouts that work the entire body at once, not just legs or arms or chest. Um, Jorge, there is. It's a thing called CrossFit. It's functional movement executed at high intensity, and it's constantly varied. Look into some CrossFit or functional fitness or whatever, but I don't think I ever separate a body part anymore. I haven't for 10 years. I just train the whole body every day. Every day is legs and shoulders. There's no more chest day, back day. You know, you can't isolate muscles and expect them to work all together. And mother nature doesn't isolate muscles. I don't know of one hike I've ever gone on where I just worked my biceps or one hike I went on chasing elk where I just worked my chest. Segmented workouts, give you segmented results. I like total body workouts, more bang for my buck. I want to get a neuroendocrine response. What? I want my nervous system to get fired and stimulated and get better at basically synchronizing and ordering the demands from my brain. So a higher connectivity, a better internet connection from my brain to my muscles, some more coordination. On the endocrine side, that's just hormones. I want a natural spike in testosterone and IGFs, human growth hormone. I want all those things naturally bolstered through high intense workouts and that's what they will do for you. And if you want to get intensity, it's not a feeling. It's not some heavy shrugs or heavy curls. It's how much work you can do in the least amount of time. And you want some big compound movements that will recruit a lot of muscle and do a lot of work in a short amount of time. So dust off your stopwatch and set yourself up with some CrossFit workouts and go from there. And if you don't know how to do CrossFit, find someone to show you how to do the movements well. Follow the charter of mechanics, meaning make sure that you are taught how to do these movements properly and then make sure that you can consistently showcase proper movements and techniques over the next few weeks. And once that you've been taught and that you can demonstrate your ability to maintain good movements and sound mechanics, then you can ratchet up the intensity and really try to add some speed and get that intensity. All right. Last one here is, um, Adam, he said, East coaster who wants to know which state you would pick for out West for your first attempt at a do it yourself over the counter elk hunt. And what would you focus on first? So I would choose Montana or Colorado, possibly Idaho. If I were to go Idaho, I would go Southern Idaho where there's more opportunity to use binos, bigger country, more glassing, pretty good elk numbers and less wolf numbers. There's, I think there's more wolves in the middle to North. So central to North Idaho, I think it's got higher wolf densities. So Montana is a great state because with your tag, you get six weeks of archery, five weeks of rifle. That's pretty generous. I think in some places you can shoot a cow or a bull that's got a brow tine. So I know that I think Colorado's got a four point minimum on their elk tags. You'd have to double check, but Colorado's got tons of ground to cover. I think you need to narrow in an area that's got, you know, proven track record with some people getting success. Uh, You can look at harvest results. You kind of have to be a statistician. I would use gohunt.com and kind of narrow down your best over-the-counter filters. You can use the Onyx Maps filters and figure out the roadless areas. You can also 
geek out on layers like Boone and Crockett entries as well as prior fires. And so you can find where the old burns are so there'd be good feed. I mean, the research that you can do is endless and you only have time on your hands at this at this point. So really, you just need to kind of narrow your scope, focus in on an area. And then if, man, if you could get out for a scouting trip, that would be worth it to me to get boots on the ground or find people that have made YouTube videos about the area you're hunting and reach out to them. There's so much research to do with elk forums or just talk forums, chat forums. I think those are pretty good. Um, And then you can just research through Google Earth, obviously, and do some overlays, look at where you would park, which basins you check first, and just start putting together a plan. You know, separation is in the preparation. So as far as states go, I'm going to say Montana would be my first choice, Colorado would be my second, and Idaho would be my third. Oh, we have one more. This is a whitetail question, and I apologize if you hate whitetail hunting, but I don't. I like mountain uh, whitetail hunting. So this one's from Aaron. This is truly the last one before we talk shop and close this thing up. Aaron, I'm going to answer this fast. He said, he just watched my YouTube video on the stud whitetail I killed. Congrats. He says he lives in Washington as well. And his family's from the Spokane area up at Loon Lake. That's just an hour north of Spokane. He's got pictures of big bucks. And he sent me five pictures. Those are That's a nice buck. That's another nice buck. I have hundreds of pictures of the buck. For three years straight, but I can never track his path more than 75 yards out from the salt lick, and it was rarely consistent. Most of the places I hunt have very few limitations in terms of areas for deer to feed or bed. In other words, they can do both almost anywhere what they want. That sounds familiar. I have moved cameras out in multiple directions to try to get ahead of their pattern, but have not found that to work well, very well for me. Most of the time, I feel like they are slipping in between my cameras because there's often either too many trails to cover or no trails at all. All right, Aaron. So I don't know how I don't know how you want to do this. I don't know what time of year you're hunting the whitetail, but I know in Washington it opens in your area. I think around November 25th. So the rut's pretty well underway. So a lot of bucks are going to go cruising. A lot of them are going to leave their home core range and start roaming. And some will just stick close to home and try to find does down there. It just depends. I like to run trap lines on bucks with trail cameras. So I will put anywhere between five to 10 cameras in a general area and try to cover every little ridge, main ridge, maybe one on some fingers and just leave those cameras up year round and then try to start putting together the pieces as to when they made appearances on those and what time of day and what time of year it was, you know, when they, when they kind of go on their cruise, where do they go? You're hunting a pretty big area. And so, you know, I would try to find an area in and around where it holds a high density of does and the bucks will be there that time of year. You can put lots of feed out. You can bait deer in Washington. It sounds like you're in a mountain area. So haul a bale of alfalfa up there and, and find where that gets crushed by does, put a camera on that or whatever. Another thing to mention is I run two cameras at my whitetail setup. So one is on video mode and one is on still mode. I get way more information off the video one. I There's a video one captures everything Whereas I would say my still photo trail camera kind of, I miss the picture of what really is going on in the background. It just doesn't paint the picture. When you have a 20 second video, you can pretty much catch everything that's going on. I have bucks that are coming in one trail and never using the trail by my trail camera for maybe they smell my scent on the camera, but there they would be underneath my tree stand. But if I were just to rely on that still photo one, I would never have known they were there unless I checked the video one. So I'm going more and more towards video mode. It sucks because I don't like to check videos 
in the field. I like to check those on a you know my home computer, but. I would say maybe put your cameras on video mode, invest in more cameras if you're super serious, find a higher doe density area for the rut. If you're hunting early season, it's, you know, you're going to have to learn its exact core area. So good luck on that. All right, guys, going to keep these just about an hour. So we're just about done. I just want to encourage you all to look. We talked about, you know, motivation and setting goals and basically just kicking ass at life. I love that. I just want to remind you that discipline is freedom. I love that from Jocko Willink. So discipline and freedom to have the time to hunt and discipline and freedom and time, have the resources to hunt. So if you're not being smart with your money, I would encourage you or challenge you all to at least, at the very least, get an Excel spreadsheet, make a Google sheet or something and go down the list and figure out money out. I want to know your fixed expenses that are going out the door month in and month out. I want to know that your nut you have to make, you got to crack that nut just to live. You need to figure out where your money is going. And if you don't have a pulse, if you don't write it down, you don't measure it, you're not going to be able to manage it. We've talked about that when it comes to fitness. The same thing with your finances. My wife and I did this recently. We've been doing the Dave Ramsey thing kind of for about 10 years. But when I say kind of, I mean, we've implemented some of his principles. We've tweaked some of them. I don't think we're like as hardcore as some people. We're not living on beans and rice so we can pay our house off in five years. No. We also try to track where our money goes out and know what we need to make so that we can pay all our bills, pay some extra towards a mortgage, and save some here. So it's really, I think it's healthy for a hunter to know how they can basically save for things. And we like the envelope system. And if you don't know what that is on the Dave Ramsey deal, it's basically you're saving up for when shit goes wrong. So like every month we put a little bit of money aside towards our vehicles that And I'm not talking the vehicle payment. I already told you guys our trucks are paid off. I'm saying like for when we need new tires or for when something maybe breaks down and we got to take it into the shop or maybe Alicia, my wife, wants to put some new seat covers on or whatever. Anything vehicle related we save for month, month in and month out. And that money stays there in that account and it just grows. And if we don't need new tires and if we don't have to, you know, if we just change the oil or whatever or do it ourselves, in a year from now, let's say we're putting a hundred bucks a month towards that, all of a sudden we have twelve hundred bucks in case something goes wrong with our vehicle. That's cool. We're not gonna change our program. We're gonna leave that money alone and it's there. Another envelope system is like um travel or vacation. Alicia and I save for vacation. I think we put a couple hundred bucks a month towards that. And we don't go on vacation every year. In fact, we haven't been on vacation in three years. We went uh, last time with the Big Island. Well, guess what? We're going to Maui in February and we're going to pay cash for that whole thing. And it took us three years to save at 200 bucks a month. But it's extremely rewarding to go to Maui and know that our airfare, our hotel, our dinner, everything is paid for and we're just relaxing, we're chilling. And so I would encourage you to look up his system, his envelope system. I'll provide a link to where you kind of basically create funds for everything that could go wrong 
within reason and that you save for those things instead of not doing that and your car breaks down and you don't have a fund for when your car breaks down and so you put it on your credit card which already has other things that you've put on your credit card and then you're going to have to try to figure out how to pay that down and you're paying interest stressing you out life's too short so I want you to make a plan when it comes to finances and I know you guys don't tune into this to listen to my uh, financial advice because you know you probably don't, but I do like talk, like talking about that because I do think it pertains to hunting because the more money you have or the less debt you have, the more time you have to hunt, be with your family, and the less stress that you're going to be under. So, you know, this one, this whole podcast is about motivation. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one.